welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. Being a product master means having the influence you want and need to drive product strategy. The move to product master happens through this podcast and the training I provide. We can learn a lot from examining the journey of a product, and this interview looks at the product story of Badger Maps, the market-leading route planning app for field salespeople. And I spoke with Jimmy Hooker. He's the head of product at Badger Maps to get the story. He's been with Badger since the beginning, where his initial responsibilities were designing and implementing the web front end, along with designing the mobile apps. And this has been a bootstrap operation. And since that beginning, he's taken on product management, managing the marketing website, SEO strategy, and also analytics. He's passionate about product and obsessed with making useful, easy-to-use tools. From the discussion, you'll learn sources for product ideas, how to validate your plans for solving the customer's problem, and ways to form the vision for a product. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 170. I hope you enjoy the interview. Jimmy, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovator podcast. I'm glad we tracked you down from uh, San Francisco now in Spain. Yeah. So you're there with the engineering team for Badger Maps. And I want to walk through the kind of the, the history, the, the, the product story of Badger Maps. And so first tell us what that product is about. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me, Chad. Uh, so the, the product, its main, its main goal is to make salespeople more efficient and specifically outside salespeople. So the product allows salespeople to create optimized routes to visit multiple locations in a day mm -hmm. and ideally allows them to visit more locations than they might otherwise be able to. It also allows them to colorize and filter their points on a map. So it gives them more of a strategic perspective on who they should be visiting. Maybe customers that you know are clustered that they haven't visited in a while, uh, so on and so forth. So it's a purpose-built tool to ideally get outside sales salespeople to sell more. Okay, so fundamentally, a route planning tool uh, that that traveling yes. salesman problem, right? That I, I sure vaguely remember from. I don't know if that was a math or computer science class. So, you know, how, how do you Might optimize? Maybe <laughs> how do you optimize right. points? And then obviously, the program lets you add in weights to that too, like you know prior priority people that you need to go visit. Yeah. So, and this is an app form, right? A, a mobile mobile app. Yeah. So it works with uh, both the browser and your iPhone or or Android phone. Okay. So as we talk about the product journey here of how this thing came into being in that digital product management space, but as I always tell people I talk to, there's things that we can learn across domains. So I think this is applicable to all product managers, regardless of what kind of work we're involved in. Sure. Set some context for us too, in terms of the company. You know, at the time that Badger Maps came about, what was going? What was the company like? Did you have other products? Was this a startup? So we were we were about as startup as you can get, and uh, and we're an unfunded startup, right? So we were we were what people call bootstrapped, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it was me, the lead engineer and CTO, uh, Gutty, uh, our CEO Steve. Uh, and my colleague, Eric, who works in sales operations. Hmm. So it was really a very small team. We actually, uh, sorry, there was a fifth. There was the original co-founder, Aaron. Okay. So we were a very small team and all of us started very, very green, right? It was our first time creating something from scratch. And 
we really, <laughs> I don't know how to say this without sounding, sounding, you know, too bad, but I guess it was five years ago. So I, I can, I can feel okay about it. We really had no idea what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, none of us had ever ran a startup or created a product from scratch before. And so it was a very interesting experience of, of building out design and UI and product market fit and so on and so forth with a very, very, very small team. And excited to be a part of. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it was something that I always wanted to do. Um, but it's a, it's a funny thing. Once you get into the place of having that power, that ability to create something from scratch, suddenly there's this whole, well, how does that work, right? How do you actually do that? And, you know, at a larger company, you have a bunch of resources available to you. Whereas when it's just the four of you, you're really, you know, you're drinking deep. You're, right. Uh, right. <laughs> you're wearing all the hats. Yeah, I think that's great. The, when I uh, graduated from uh, college in electrical engineering, I joined a small system engineering group. I was employee number four in the office. Right. Um, and you do you do everything right, and yeah. you, you feel the weight of your decisions because they really matter. And you know, yeah. well, we we can pay everyone this week, but we 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 need to find another project, or we're not going to be right. able to pay ourselves <laughs> next week, right? Right. And I, I love that environment because you do learn so much about so many different things. I find it interesting. What were you doing in that environment in the beginning? Then were you a were you in a product management role? No, it was so. I was originally hired on as the lead designer. Right. Okay. And um, at the time I'd done consulting and contract projects before that, I actually, I came from a Linux operations background. Mm-hmm. So I worked in Linux operations for a large uh, hosting provider. And I, I had done design on the side with contract work, like I mentioned, and I really wanted to do it full time. And my friend Gutty, the CTO, he had been working for Badger for close to a year, I think, maybe three quarters of a year. And at that point, they, they had enough of a rough idea of the product that they wanted to bring on a mm-hmm. designer. So I was originally brought on just for front-end development and design. And I also did some development work with the deployment processes using some of my, my Linux uh, knowledge. But in the beginning, it was really my initial purpose <laughs> for existence was, was really designing the product and designing the website and handling any other design-related things. Very good. It, when you're in such a small environment, starting like that, typically someone else, probably usually the founder, right, has the kind of the vision right. for the product. And I was curious about that early role. So you came into product management from a design perspective, design background, yeah. and what you're doing now. Let's talk about the idea for Badger Maps. Where did that idea actually come from? Was it the founder and his experience? Tell us the story there. Yeah. So the founder, the our, our CEO Steve Benson, he he had worked in sales at Google and he had, he'd worked at a number of other companies before that, but his experience right before starting Badger was at Google selling Google apps. Hmm. And he would work with the, I think they call it G suite now, but he worked with G suite and Google maps, the SDK selling the SDK to, to companies that, you know, were deploying maps all over their, their applications. Mm-hmm. And Steve did really what you would consider a combination of both inside and outside sales. So, Steve had a lot of empathy for the salesperson, uh, as could be expected. And initially, though, when he was working in his role at Google, he was getting a lot of customers asking about custom deployments of Google Maps. So customers would want you know, something map-related, but that had whatever overlay, maybe a demographic overlay, along with points that represented their stores, and maybe they could understand where they should be putting new stores based on that demographic data. Um, 
So the initial idea for Badger was really to create a software suite that could be customized for specific customers. But through experience and initial validation, stuff like that, he felt that we could make a pretty big difference creating something that made outside salespeople more efficient. Hmm. So that was kind of, that was where we started from. And that was what we found success with and, and expanded with over time. Sometimes startups, their, their first journey is they're scratching their own itch, right? The, the founder has a problem. Yeah. And they, and in this case, it was that experience with customers that as a salesperson and as selling Google Maps, wanting to solve this problem for other salespeople. Right. Uh, yeah. w- which I think is a great place to start, uh, ha- having actual experience with the customer segment and what their problem is. I was just going to say, and it gives us credibility, yeah. right? It's as a, as a company, we're not just coming into some field that we have no understanding of, right? Our CEO is very intimately aware of the problems and, and issues that affect salespeople. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it lends us a little bit of credibility, which we, you know, <laughs> any company can always use. Yeah, absolutely. So somehow you have to understand your customer and, and the, the niche, the target market you're going after. And yeah. then the next step, now that we have this, this problem, sounds like a pretty well-defined problem and some experience with it, is you start coming up with ideas for solving the problem and then validating those, ideally validating them with the actual customers. Talk right. about that solution validation process. What happened back when this first was getting formulated? So when the product was first being created, the main goal was to create optimized routes, right? So that we felt, we felt pretty confident that that was something that would be useful to, to outside sales reps, field sales reps. And it was something that we're... Steve would call up a bunch of people, either old colleagues or potential leads or whoever, and basically just almost strong arm them into using the product and giving us feedback on it. But it was not, I I don't know how to, I mean, the product was very, very, very bare bones at first, right? We had basic uh, lead management inside the application. Uh, The UI was left a lot to be desired. Um, It kind of felt like a patchwork at times. Um, there was nothing polished about it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very much so a work in progress while we found something that really worked for people. And it took a long time for that to happen um, in the order of like, I, I, I want to say years for us to really feel like we had dialed in enough of it. But we were able to get enough feedback. Initially, people enjoyed using the product and we had some early customers, uh, some early teams that really saw the potential in it and were willing to kind of go on the journey with us. And they really... Um, they made Badger possible. We we made some some very large deals uh, at certain points that were very strategic for us to continue existing. Hmm. Um, because it was we it was you know it was a struggle. You know what I mean? It was uh, it was truly being bootstrapped is is tough. You know you hmm. really have to to uh, to believe in it and be willing to see the potential future and stick with it. It is tough. It also presents advantages, I think. You know, so the, the other choice is you have investment from some source, right? Whether it's the founder's right. investment or outside VCs or something. Right. Being bootstrapped makes you, as we talked a little bit earlier, it, it makes you feel the weight of all the decisions. And yeah. there's certainly a lot more on the line, I think, in a sense of you, you oh, got yeah. to find a way to make things work. Yeah. And, those, and you have no resources. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> so those, you, have, you, have no, you have no money to spend, right? So it's... You, everything that you, every solution that you come up with has to be, you know, cobbled together, you know, out of whatever you can make work, yep. right? Yep. Uh, becoming familiar with things like SEO and stuff like that, 
become really important things. Understanding how to run email campaigns. It's uh, those the biggest bang for your buck type things because you have no money for for any real any real marketing outside of that. I personally think that's a really useful perspective to have, regardless of your your setting. And I know this is a big cultural. The culture of the organization waits on this. And a lot of people yeah. in larger organizations just, they can't feel that way because they haven't had the experience for it to be any different. Right. I don't know what your company structure is like. The system engineering company I was with is employee four, and it was a employee-owned company structure. So oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, so it was a corporation was set up, but we all got employee stock as we went. Right. And that made us it made us care more about the decisions we were making because anytime we had to make a decision about, does this dollar go here or here? It was actually our money that we were talking about. Right. Yeah. And it just makes the decisions feel better. So I think those kinds of things are important. No, I, I I totally, I totally agree. I I think uh, employees having ownership of the company is uh, it's, it's important. You know, you feel like your decisions really Mm -hmm. uh, affect the future of the company. And it's kind of, I think, I think in the startup world, generally, you're asking people to take on a pretty significant amount of risk. And even if people are very risk um, tolerant, mm-hmm. you're still, you know, you should be compensating them in a way, recognizing what they're doing with, you know, some sort of potential reward, right? That if the company succeeds, so should the employees. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's a different environment. It's an environment where people who, can handle having what they did yesterday be destroyed and not used, right? Because yeah. did it work, right? And we have to we have right. to do something else today because what we tried did it work. Uh, you you yeah. have to be willing to rush into the unknown and deal with frequent change and just do what right. it takes. And that's an uncomfortable place for a lot of people. And it's also pe- some why some people love the startup environment because that's what yeah. happens. So yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's for certain people. I think the startup environment is amazing. Right, I think other people would probably <laughs> enjoy never being a part of that, but I think for the people who enjoy kind of the uncertainty and the the control, the potential—I mean, mm-hmm. both control and lack of control, I guess—but you know, your ability to make an impact. I think if you value those two things and you're excited by the unknown, it's a really it's a it's a fun environment. Yeah, and having a, a pretty good team, obviously. You want to work with the people that you're you're in the bunker with. It sure helps. People that you enjoy and like and you feel safe with, right? Working together. Yeah. And I think one of the lessons here for everyday innovators is regardless of the size of your organization, you know, 10,000 people or three, different people are wired in different ways. And as we're doing product management work, that involves innovation and involves doing something new. And that makes others uncomfortable because something new inherently means change. Yeah. And regardless of the organization, there's going to be these different perspectives at bear and being able to work with people that have different perspectives and still bring them along with you for the journey about this new thing that you're trying to get done is, is a important skill. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of the everyday innovator is brought to you by product innovation educators. Your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. 
And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us that concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to the everydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Your one place to become a product master. The everydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. I do want to talk about the actual development of this with you too. Sure. You talked about the team a little bit as the product was getting developed. This was bootstrapped. What was actually going on? Was there a methodology you guys were using at the time? Was there anything you were outsourcing? We did a couple a couple different outsourcing things initially. With colorization of the points on the map, we hired a contractor who uh, had worked with the technology technologies associated and was able to do that. Same with part of building out the Django backend. Um, over time, we brought in Agile and, and Scrum methodologies. But when it was just me and Gutty, our CTO, we really we had a, a really strong working relationship, mm-hmm. and it was something where I would be able to mock something up, and I could write the HTML, CSS, and some of the JavaScript, mm-hmm. and it would be very understandable what needed to be done on his side in order to kind of wire the thing together and make it work in uh, in a production ready way. And keep in mind, we're not at this point we're not writing like any test driven code, right? We're we're just trying to make solutions that ideally please the existing user base and make it easier to sell the product to to more potential users. So now we've we've come a much longer way and we have you know our engineering team in Spain. Um, I think we're up to I think around 35 employees at this point. And so in the last couple of years we've we've grown really significantly. It was four of us for about for about three years. Mm-hmm. And now we're we're fully doing TDD test driven development. Um, we do much more planning, much more, uh, you know, what would traditionally be called uh, product management. But a lot of that was gained through uh, our first experience of that was when we outsourced our iOS app to a third party. And I would hand over my designs and Gutty would hand over some of his, his specifications. And we would get stuff back that we were like, why isn't this what we said it should be, right? And Initially, maybe we thought, "Are these developers not very good developers? Are they what's what's happening here? Are they misunderstanding us?" And it it slowly dawned on us that it was that it was our fault, right? That we were handing them, you know, specs that had a lot of holes in them, that they weren't as well defined as they should be. We basically hadn't been really self critical of our of our stuff because we hadn't had to be mm-hmm. up until that point. And so, doing things like exporting assets at consistent sizes. And handing them over in a you know in a nice way with like a, a nice little bow on top, um, redlining the application, creating interactive mockups, becoming much better communicators was was kind of a big deal for us at that stage, and kind of set it set us on a path to being able to handle working with a team and working as a group rather than as just two people who could trade ideas quickly back and forth. Right. The the advantage of the two people, it's just two people, the communication is, is simplified, and you had a right. strong working relationship. And you can do yeah. that, you know, if you're co-located or you're really good at, at working virtually. You know, a small yeah. team, you know, the, the two pizza sort of team, right? You know, yeah. maybe uh, 
four to eight people can still accomplish that pretty well. The interesting thing about Scrum, one of the foundations of a, of Scrum as a principle is that you need an intact, pretty highly experienced team, right? The, the, there's yeah. a baseline expectation there. And when people move into adopting Scrum the first time, um, they realize that there's a, a reasonable learning curve because you, you yeah. need an experienced team. My experience tells me that you give me an intact, experienced team that's performing well, I don't care what the methodology is, they're, yeah. they're going to they're figure it out and get it done, right? Yeah. Because that's what high-performing teams do. And at, true. as you grew, you did it. You had less of that intact team sort of atmosphere, especially when you outsourced the iOS app and mm-hmm. had to figure out how to get them to be thinking like you guys were thinking. Right. In the process, I assume that your role evolved too. How, how did product management kind of come on board during that, as that transition was coming? Right. So it was basically the understanding that if I wanted to get things done effectively, I needed to become much better at defining a feature, right? At really scoping it out, designing it, creating workflows, uh, workflow diagrams, uh, interactive prototypes, right? Stuff like that in order to really communicate what my goals were. And so that was, that was just something that I realized over time. It wasn't, I, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily sought out the idea of learning how to, to, manage the product, right? To be a product manager. It was really something that was just born out of necessity, right? Mm-hmm. In order to get the things that we wanted to done and and really to get my ideas into the app, um, it just became necessary to become a much better, much better communicator and learn skills associated with product management, problem solving skills and ways of thinking through features, you know, being highly self-critical and um, challenging your own ideas a lot. Mm-hmm. It was just all stuff that really it was born out of not wanting to waste time, right? You, if you if you hand something off and it's incomplete or it hasn't been challenged enough, um, it really it hasn't been to the crucible. Um, you're just going to waste time because something will get kicked back, and you definitely don't want something to get kicked back. Where halfway halfway through development, the developers say, "Hey, there's this conceptual problem here," and it, it kind of you know breaks <laughs> the whole all the work we just did, you know, and so that kind of that it, it was it was hard one experience where I didn't anticipate how how much thinking should be done before you start the actual real work, mm-hmm. and uh, having gone through that now I I really you know when I have interns I I, I do a, a little PM internship program, hmm. um, and you know the, their projects actually end up becoming part of the part of the application. And so they end up going through the crucible, you know, like I've really challenged their ideas and really pushed them. And I think going through that just causes you to rethink how you, how you solve problems and how you implement features. Right. I, th- I feel like I'm meandering a little bit there, but. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say what a great experience for the interns to have to, oh, yeah. you know, this is a real world for them. Right. And yeah. think, think more deeply, you know, part of that product management role is the vision for the product and communicating that and, and as you were talking through that, you know, creating a cohesive vision for the product. Early on, it, it sounded like the co-founder was providing that direction and vision, right? And his experience from sales and then talking with the customers and getting customers on board. Has that changed over time? Is that now centered more with the work that you do as product management? Or, or where does the, the vision now come for the product? It, it comes from multiple places right now, right? 
we have a huge amount of customer feedback. People mm-hmm. really do love our product, but they want more, right? Mm-hmm. Any product that you interact with, you know, there are plenty of products that I use where I love them, but I still want more, right? And so we have a lot of very consistent feedback over time, especially because we're, we're still pretty engineering constrained that we have a very clear idea of what the most important next features are and what we, what we most want to implement next. So in terms of the vision, I would almost say it's customer focused, right? Mm-hmm. We're reacting to what customers really want while also seeing ideally intuiting where the product should go, seeing the problems before customers do and seeing potential solutions that are that would make their lives easier, either from like a UI perspective or a workflow perspective. But yeah, I mean, there have been multiple times over the years. I mean, even when we were just, it was just me and Gutty. Um, I remember I really wanted to redo the UI on the application, right? It was something where when I initially created the, the first version of the UI in the app, that was something where... I, I was very new. I didn't really have a clear idea of how this application should focus or should function. We had, didn't have all the features that we now had at this later point in time. And Steve, our CEO, went on his honeymoon, and I knew that he he wouldn't give me permission to redo the UI because he thought it was going to be some crazy long process that would that would take us out of focus for too long. And so we went on his honeymoon. I just decided to do it, and uh, and but you know, better to ask for forgiveness later. <laughs> exactly right. So I my thinking was that if I could get let's say eighty percent of the way there, maybe ninety percent, if I'm really lucky, and I show it to him when he comes back, that he would be like, okay, you know, finish, you know, do whatever you need to do to finish it. And luckily, I got I got maybe you know seventy, eighty percent of the way there. There was a lot of broken functionality, but you could get a feel for how you know it was going to function and the improvements that were going to happen. So. The vision kind of it comes from multiple different impetuses, right? Sure. I I will intuitively feel like there's maybe a good idea to to implement some sort of thing. And I don't do this as much anymore, but I used to, you know, sometimes just go for it, right? I had the freedom where I felt like I could I could just pursue something that I felt was a, a significant improvement. And we still live on that UI today. I, I think it's been three years since I implemented that. And I'm still happy with it. It's hmm. it's I've been the most happy with that than of any design I've I've done so far. So sometimes I'll feel very confident in an idea, and I'll I'll feel the freedom to just go for it and implement it. And other times I feel like we should be looking at the data. Right? What are the customers telling us? Where is the what are the usage patterns? What are the churn reasons? Other times Steve will Steve our CEO he'll have talked to a larger customer. Uh, potential customers, and they'll want specific things, and that will feed into the roadmap as well. So it, it really, you know, it depends at the time, but we all kind of, you know, you try and holistically appreciate the multiple um, directions that you can take. Yeah, and you're you're reflecting the real world. I think sometimes people end up in product management, at least initially, with this grandiose of it, grandiose view of it that I'm going to be the one in charge of product. I'm going to set the vision. You know, this is going to be great. Not recognizing that there's other people who have vision con- contributions to make sure. and experiences that matter, and you you have to work as a group. And the big thing you said, you know, this is customer driven, right? Tr- trying to walk in the shoes of our customers, anticipate the problems that they're going to have and make this more valuable for them along the way. Right. In terms of getting customers, now that you've been on this journey, I'm just curious about, and each one of these questions, I know we could dive into so much further. Right. But I'm curious about the actual 
distribution kind of process? How are you reaching customers to let them know that this thing exists? Is this direct sales? Uh, you have SEO going, you said. I know you're doing some yeah. PR. What is that like on reaching customers? Yeah, so PR is definitely part of it. Uh, Anna does a great job of getting Steve uh, so, to so do So Anna's your PR person. Yes, right. okay. Anna's, Anna's our PR person. And she does a great job with reaching out and getting our product covered and getting Steve on different podcasts. And now this is, this is my first podcast. So she's, you know, she's trying to get exposure for, for all of us. Then we also have SEO, as you mentioned. SEO is extremely important to us. It was something that we really... I think SEO is something that everybody realizes is important, but there's a lot of snake oil in SEO, right? So there's a lot of misunderstanding about which, what works and what doesn't. And I think some of it can come off as, as a little scammy. And that was something... I remember our first real experience of that was when we first built the the blog for our website, we just threw it on Tumblr, right? I just... Um, created a theme for a Tumblr installation. And our, our blog was at blog.badgermapping.com. You know, and over time, I read a couple articles about the lift people got when they moved their blog over to the actual uh, domain itself. So badgermapping.com slash blog, how it, it really influenced their SEO. And so I said, okay, let's try that. So I imported everything into, into WordPress and threw it on there. Hmm. And it was such a stark difference. Like the amount of traffic that went to our site went up pretty dramatically over, I mean, relatively dramatically for the time period, obviously, but it was a very noticeable impact. And that was kind of that understanding of that led to us investing a lot more time and understanding in in terms of understanding SEO. Then we also have email campaigns. Um, I think our email campaigns are are super important. Um, I think that's something that people also I think initially we we didn't appreciate how important those were, and when we and we we figured out how to execute them later on, they were enormously important. And then we also have AdWords, and uh, and we also do do outreach as well. Good. The key thing I think about whenever we start a new product idea is: do we have customers that we can actually reach? Right. Yeah. And and walking through the process of we've identified a customer niche that has the problem that we know how to solve for them, and then figuring out well how are we going to tell them about that. Um, yeah, and making sure those things fit up. Yeah, awareness is a big deal. Luckily, salespeople don't mind being cold called, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's something. It's in their it's nature, <laughs> right? You know, they they appreciate a good pitch, uh, or at least most of them do. Right. So it, it, we've been lucky. There's also one thing that we're we're lucky with is that sales tends to have decently high turnover, so salespeople will move to other companies relatively quickly, mm-hmm. and so. We've benefited from network effects, sure. right? A, a, a worker, a salesperson at, at one company will move to another and say, "Hey, I used Badger and I loved it. We should use it here." Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, mobility of salespeople certainly helps you out. Yeah. As I said in the beginning, I love a good product journey story. Uh, just thinking through how did the idea come about, how did that evolve, how did you validate it? You know, actual development work, getting it out to customers right. in the process. Just if you were to reflect on like a, a key item that you've learned growing as a product manager through this process, what would that be? I would say it's the ability to accept an enormous amount of criticism uh, <laughs> and to be very critical yourself of your own ideas, to, to really challenge your own thinking. I, I think especially initially before I did any of this, you kind of can, it, it can be easy to think of product ideas as these, you know, intuitions handed to you from on high that 
you have this perfectly crystallized view of the way things should be and mm-hmm. executed, and you just hand hand this beautiful idea to a team of developers and designers, and they they can execute on it. And instead, my experience has been that the germ of an idea is it can be really good, but needs to be. It's almost like you're handed a block of marble, right? And you need to you know turn that into some form, right? Um, and I think that was something, and, you know, obviously chipping away that marble takes time mm-hmm. and is exhausting. Right. And I think to be willing to, to subject your ideas to that kind of scrutiny and criticism is an enormously important attribute personally, and probably the most important thing that I have, I have learned is to be willing to subject myself to withering criticism and be happy for it right mm-hmm. to really enjoy the process of i i learned essentially to divorce myself from my ideas right to enjoy my ideas but not feel responsible for the reception that they necessarily get like my emotional state is not built on them right right <laughs> and so i can i can really enjoy the process of developing that idea which it was not the case at first, right? When I first would come up with ideas or present designs or whatever, I was very sensitive, very, very sensitive to the criticisms that people had for them. And I I would almost start on the defensive when I presented these things. And over time, luckily, I realized that that was very counterproductive and learned to really just enjoy that process of of taking an idea and, and turning it into something much better than it would have been had mm-hmm. I just said, no, my way or the highway. Right. You know, when we were talking before in preparation for this podcast, we both discovered that we're fans of the book creativity Inc. Yes. Which is the story of Pixar. And one of the reasons why I love that is just what you said that, you know, their notion, they did this plus one approach, mm-hmm. which was, you know, don't shoot down any idea, but make any idea better. And right. they said, you know, for some, some parts of our storylines, we would plus one an idea a thousand times, you know, e- evolve yeah. this idea further and further and further. And right. in that process, you have to divorce yourself from, you know, the actual idea because what comes out on the end might look really different, Yeah, but you're part of the process of making it better. And if yeah. you're with a team of people that you trust and there's safety there and you enjoy working together, that's a really fun process. Yeah, it is. I agree. It's, um, it's an interesting process. It's 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 living within a paradox. I I feel like because you do care about the idea, mm-hmm. but you also care. It's it's almost like you care more about the ultimate execution rather than your your own participation in it. I guess or how you contributed to it. That your goal is really to make the most successful thing possible. The end result is what matters, mm-hmm. not your ego part of it, right. you know? I like how you talk about that, you know, chipping away the marble, um, yeah. accepting criticism, divorcing yourself from your own ideas. So really good insights from uh, the, your, your maturing process as a product manager through the work there on Badger Maps. As listeners know, I love a good innovation quote. Which one did you bring for us and why did you choose that one? So the one that I brought for you guys is uh, one from the the book Creativity Inc. from Ed, Ed Camel, who is the the co-founder and CTO of Pixar. Excellent. And uh, he says, a hallmark of a healthy creative culture is that its people feel free to share ideas, opinions, and criticisms. 
Our decision-making is better when we draw on the collective knowledge and unvarnished opinions of the group. And so I feel like that quote, I, the, one, the one area here that I really want to highlight is unvarnished opinions, right? I think a lot of companies want to feel like they're open and have candor, but I think it's, it's hard to do that, right? You really have to foster that as part of the company's, um, I don't want to say DNA because that sounds so Silicon Valley, but <laughs> it really, you want it to be part of the fiber of, of the company. Mm-hmm. That the idea of kind of giving feedback and criticism is not meant to hurt the other person, right? Your, your goal is not to um, take them down a peg. The goal is to really work on that idea. So going back to the things we were talking about just before this, that quote I feel like is, is essentially a, a distillation of yeah. those ideas. Your goal is you, you want to focus on the end result, you know? And I think with, if you couch your opinions, if you try to tiptoe around things, um, you know, walk on eggshells type of thing, I think you're going to do your company a disservice, right? That's not to say that you want to, uh, you don't want to be a jerk, right? <laughs> the goal isn't, the goal isn't to, I think some people who are jerks can sometimes say, well, I'm just being honest. Right. And I think there's ways of being honest where you can, where you can give very direct criticism, very unvarnished opinions without necessarily, you know, uh, belaboring the point. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think it's so important. I just, I think that a lot of people worry about hurting feelings and um, I think it's, I think it's good to be aware of people's feelings, but also as a company, your goal is to create a great thing, you know, and you will be punished by your, your competitors and your customers if, you, uh, if you're not very self-critical. Yeah, and part of that is the divorcing yourself of, uh, of the ideas, right, from the yeah. ideas that you talked about before. That, you know, we're not attacking each other. We're not really even attacking the idea. We're making the idea better. You know? Yeah, and I think how you interact with each other makes a huge difference in this. If you say, "Yeah, well, that's a stupid idea," that's probably a bad place to start. If you yeah. go further and say, "Well, you're stupid for thinking of that idea," that's definitely a bad place to start. Right. But if you just take the idea at face value, and and I'm not particularly good at this because sometimes I'm a little bit too honest in, in how I communicate and need to work on the edges of that. But if you take the idea at face value and say, "Well, let's start with that and figure out how to make it better," and mm-hmm. just keep working on it. Right. And about making the ideas better, adding value for the customer. So thanks for sharing that quote. It's a, a wonderful quote. We have not had that quote on the podcast yet. Awesome. I, I enjoy that thought very much. Tell listeners how they can find out more about Badger Maps and anything that you want to leave us with in terms of uh, connecting with you or anything else. You can find out more about Badger Maps at badgermapping.com or just badgermaps.com. If you, uh, if, if you want to find out more about me or you have any questions, I'm happy to answer questions. I, I, I hope I don't regret saying that, but you can just reach me at Jimmy at badgermapping.com. So that's G I M M Y at badgermapping.com. And uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to, uh, to guide people through anything I can, I can help with. And can people reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, of course. Okay. Of that, course. That, I'll put that in the show notes. I'm just a little leery of sometimes having the email addresses in the show notes. So everyone heard that. But also, if you want to reach out to Jimmy, I'll put the in the show notes the link to his LinkedIn profile. I'll make that easy, as well as badgermapping.com. Jimmy, thanks for the information, for sharing a little bit of the history there from a product management perspective. Lots of good insights. And I think especially the insights about 
just what do we do with ideas and, and how do we work with the group and how, how do we cherish the ideas and make them better? Right. But I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Thank you so much, Chad. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks again for listening. Find the summary of the discussion with Jimmy at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 170. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.